The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, everyone. Before we start this episode, I just want to give you a quick reminder that we have negotiation and conflict management workshops coming up in Columbus, Miami, and Los Angeles in May. I hope to see you there. And if you're interested, I have a link in the description so you can learn more. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. Our guest today is Heather MacArthur. Heather has over 20 years of experience helping employees blaze fulfilling career paths in an ever-changing work landscape. In her new book, Low Man on the Totem Pole, Stop Begging for a Promotion and Start Selling Your Genius, she helps people from all walks of life learn to identify their unique callings and find their greatness. I know you're going to learn a lot from this one, so without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Heather, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. How about we get started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Uh, Well, I'm a a coach consultant. I work with organizations and individuals focusing on how to help them thrive in the workplace, whether that's through coaching, through workshops, or even helping organizations set their strategies. Very cool. And so how do you get into this? You know, it's funny. I kind of fell into it. I started doing something, you know, organizational design while in the military without realizing it before it was really a profession. And then as I got out, I moved towards learning and development and training and continued on that route. I met a consultant, loved the idea that there was that kind of freedom and that she could work with anyone anywhere. So I just kept plugging away for that. And I had this great experience of working internally in a lot of organizations, but also the external. And so it turned into a nice, helpful hybrid for people. Very cool. And you also have a book coming out. You want to give it a quick shout out? <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's called Low Man on a Totem Pole. Stop begging for a promotion. Start selling your genius. And I do a lot of career coaching. And I found a lot of people who didn't have the information needed to navigate their career in this new work world. And sometimes they can't afford a coach. And so I thought, let's put all the little things that gems of wisdom that I try to share with people into one book that's affordable and accessible, especially if they can't hire a professional coach. And that's really for anybody at any point in their career, whether they're unemployed, new after, or just trying to kind of excel where they're at. Nice. And we will put a link to that on your webpage in the description for sure. So check that out if you get a chance, audience. And so I'm excited to have you on the show today because you're going to talk to us about something that we haven't talked about yet, which is exciting. And this is how we can use negotiation to get the budget you need to do what you need to do within your company. So can you give us a brief overview of that? When I worked internally, I noticed either partnering with executives trying to do their budget or working with managers doing their budget or running the budget myself, I just saw a passiveness, this kind of idea that the budget that gets handed to you is what you work with versus thinking really from a business strategy of the money they're investing, you're a consultant on, is that the right amount of money? And each year, are we being strategic about the resources that we're asking for and using? And I just 
I saw people kind of miss the mark there and kind of play this kind of reactive role versus proactive role. Yeah, I think this is critical. And one of the things that we like to do with the show is uncover unique areas of opportunity when it comes to negotiation. And what I found is that a lot of people don't really know what's negotiable. And that was really one of the inspirations for the name of the podcast, Negotiate Anything. So I'm glad that we can kind of get a little bit granular here and talk about how we can use this skill in this very specific context within the company. So when you talk about budget in this context, just to make sure that everybody is on the same page, what exactly do you mean? Where does this come up? Anybody who manages a department or a team, depending on your company's policy, you're either responsible for managing the budget or you're contributing to thinking about the budget. So even if you're an admin assistant, you're there to contribute what needs to be thought of, what needs to have a cost plan to it. As the manager of the budget, you're responsible to make sure that it's spent responsibly, as well as make sure that it's set responsibly, usually on a fiscal or annual basis for the business. And so for most people, I think this might come as a surprise to know that this type of thing is negotiable. Why do you think this is such an important thing to negotiate if you have the opportunity? I personally think it's irresponsible to have a budget and not know how to help the business that you're working in and whoever it is you're reporting to that has their own budget you're a part of. And, you know, even if you're an SVP, you're reporting up into an EVP. If you're the CEO, you got to go to the board with your budget. So there's never a limit on it. I think remembering that you're getting paid by the company and whatever they're budgeting for stuff, they're expecting you to be thoughtful about, are we getting the best deal? Are you managing your vendors appropriately, negotiating the best deal with the amount of power that that company might have, our purchase power? And then also, are you helping them project what's needed And the money is really just the half of it. You should be coming in with a strategy around, here's what our functional department should be doing for the company. Here's what it costs to do that. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You're more of an expert in this realm than I am. But what I've seen in other situations is that when a person finally starts to assert themselves and stand up for themselves in different contexts, it kind of has a halo effect where it leaks into other aspects of their personal and business life. So for example, what might happen in this situation is when you become seen in the company as somebody that's willing to advocate for your position and for your department in when it comes to budget, it makes it a little bit easier for you to step up and advocate for yourself when it comes to salary negotiations, because you have that regard and that level of respect, and they don't find it outside of the realm of what's ordinary for your behavior to ask for what you want. Yeah, and actually the credibility, it's the shift from I'm advocating for my department or my salary. What you end up advocating for is what's best for the company. So I'm not advocating for my department to get the headcount because I feel like we're not fully supported. I'm advocating for the company to get the right results. In that, are the headcount resources needed? If I'm advocating for a salary for myself, first off, I advocate for the right work to be done. Then I advocate for the right positions or headcount or org chart to support that. And then I'd advocate for myself to do this particular work if I'm genuinely the right person to do it and back off if it's not, because that's going to set up a bad business reputation. I have no problem going in and advocating for the salary that should get paid because I think anybody who's qualified in that position should get that pay. And I want the company to hire the right skill, the right experience. So I don't negotiate a raise for good behavior or, gosh, I've been loyal for five years. I negotiate the position and the salary first. And then we talk about why I'm the right fit. 
I love it. Oh, this is brilliant. And I love what you said about your negotiating for what's best for the company, because I think that is a good foundation for how we want to frame these discussions. And if you frame the negotiation, whatever the negotiation is, in terms of what's best for the company, it makes it a lot more difficult for somebody to say no. And the reality is, is you don't want them to be afraid to say no. I want to understand why they're saying no. And if I'm operating, I like to say I'm, the, I'm a business owner. And if I decide to set up shop underneath a bigger umbrella of a company, I'm still a business owner. And if I'm recommending things that they don't need, or I'm recommending things that just matter to me, then I'm going to set a reputation that I can't be trusted as a business owner. And I find that most people go in, and this is kind of what, you know, is the the subtitle of my book is Stop Begging for Promotion, Start Selling Your Geniuses, to think instead of like an employee who goes, may I have this, may I have that, resources, budget, promotion. Instead, I go in of, hey, you hired me. Let me share with you what really is needed for your business. Here's my recommendations. And, you know, let me understand what concerns you have around that. What risk is this for you? I'm a partner with them. If you had a plumber come in and just go, you know, here's what I need to make this month, so please pay me because... I've been a good plumber for the last five years. You would, you would do exactly what you just did. You'd laugh. You'd go, this is nuts. Instead, you expect this person to come in and assess the situation, share with you what your options are, understand what can you afford, what can you not afford. It shouldn't be any different when I'm working for somebody else inside of a company. I just need to remember, I'm a business owner, regardless of the fact that I may have negotiated away some of the challenge or risk that comes with setting up shop by myself. Hey everyone, I just wanted to pop in and remind you that we have negotiation and conflict management workshops coming up in Columbus, Miami, and Los Angeles. If you can't make one of these workshops, don't worry. We are going to be in New York, Chicago, and Houston sometime later this summer. And if you can't make one of those, you can always check out our brand new online course. Check out the description for more information. And now, back to the show. I love it. I love it. Okay, so... In your opinion, what are three of the most important things to keep in mind with this particular type of negotiation? I think when you're running a budget, I think the most important thing is, you know, the budget is a tool. It's not the goal. So you should have a strategy for your department. What is it you think your department or function should be doing that following year on behalf of the company? That that strategy is what you map out first and partner with. And then have ready to share. Here's where the budget should increase because of that strategy or honestly decrease if that's an opportunity. You know, you should take into account what's your strategy and what's the priorities going on in the organization. If my department needs to take a back seat this year because another department needs better funding for the company's overall strategy, then, then I'm going to think creatively on that part. I'm not going to just try to hoard my budget because I want to hold on to money. And the second thing is come with options. I always like to say I'm going to share the A, B, and C options so people can kind of pick and choose and understand what level of risk and investment really suits them. And so I'll start with what I call the Ferrari option. This is the ideal strategy that I'm pitching. This is how much that would cost. And then I have option B, which is let's scale it down a bit. We lose a little bit, but this is where it offsets some of the risk and investment. And then option C, here's the stuff that absolutely needs to get done to keep the lights on, to keep things moving so that we don't move backwards. I find that somewhere in there, We end up walking away with an option D that they've helped create so they feel more committed to it and they got to be a little creative with it. And then the third thing that I would recommend is make sure that they're, you know, if you're leading a department, collaborate with your staff, reach out to the different people doing the frontline work. What stuff do they see? Help them start to think proactively about it like a business person versus 
thinking that they're not fully supported. When I hear someone say like, oh, well, this company doesn't invest in the right resources, I dig and I usually hear that they don't feel comfortable or they don't feel invited to the table to actually propose. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. What are those resources? Did they research how much that costs? Would they still propose that particular software if that was the case? This is really good. This is fantastic. And for you, based on what you've seen and the people that you've worked with and the companies that you've worked with, what are the three things that make this most challenging? Because what you said makes sense, but what makes it difficult for people to execute on that strategy? The number one thing is that people have been taught, and understandably so, because culturally as organizations, we've been kind of factory system, top down type of approach. And that's radically changed since the technological revolution, since companies are more fluid and agile or have to be. Everybody needs to know how to speak up, but they're not always invited to the table. It's not always kind of plainly stated. I recommend that everybody really start thinking like a business owner. It can radically shift how you partner and you put the needs of the company first in the discussion. That doesn't mean you leave yourself off the table, but you treat them like a customer versus this idea that you know, it's you're an employee begging for rations. That's first and foremost. Secondly, your manager may really kind of old school in terms of keeping the budget close to the desk, being afraid to have those conversations because they'll see it as losing power or a lack of respect. What I do is I just try to teach people early and often that I'm safe to work with. I'm not here to take your pie, you know, your piece of the pie. I'm not here to make you look bad. I'm here to elevate your game along with mine. So I'll share, here's what I looked into. Let me know what your thoughts are. I do that one-on-one. I don't put them on blast. I provide things as a service versus you should be better at this. Look at what I came up with. The worst thing we can do is make people feel less than. And as far as I'm concerned, in any company that I work in, the person I directly report to, they're my primary customer. They're budgeted for my headcount. So if I can maybe think of them as an unskilled customer and look at what I need to share with them to set them up for success, but I, spending time resenting them or seeing them as a roadblock really doesn't help me any. And then I'd say the third thing is if you've got an organization that's being just reactive altogether and there's not really thought around strategy or budget, you may really have to tread lightly as to how do you come across that you're providing a service versus demanding what you want and calling out people's lack of capability. This is great. And I think that mentality that you're suggesting, the entrepreneurial mentality of a business owner and approaching these conversations in that way, it's a lot more empowering than the typical way of, like you said, an employee begging for rations. <laughs> you know, it, it gives you that confidence to speak up 
and comport yourself with a little bit more authority in the conversation. And with regard to what you said about the managers kind of wanting to play it close to the vest and not being willing to be vulnerable in these conversations, I think that's something that we don't often look into because we're so focused on our own fear that we don't consider the fear and hesitations and trepidation that's on the other side. They have their fears that they're dealing with too. And so taking affirmative steps toward making them feel more comfortable and trust you is going to be really, really important. And so can we dig deeper into that? What are some specific things that you think people could do to make the managers or the powers that be feel a little bit more comfortable actually engaging in these conversations with you? Yeah. So when it comes to fear, I'm glad you brought that up because it's so powerful in the workplace because it's attached to our sense of survival. It pays for our food and mortgage. And then even if you've got this great financial strategy, there's still this element of tribal security, this idea that the powers to be see me as part of the in versus the out. So everyone's kind of walking this and gets triggered by it. And I think the first part is, is to make sure that you stay in that business owner's mindset and respond to people like customers. To your point, I think there's a lot more dignity in that. And it reminds you of what you can control. The other side of it is, is I look to see where their mindset is. And I see three common ones in the workplace. The first and probably the most fear-based is what I call the safety mindset. That means I'm afraid of my job or my territory is being impeded on. These people behave like a drowner, this idea that everything looks like a shark. So you're trying to help them and they're pushing back on you or holding things from you. Instead of getting offended, I like to say, think of yourself like a lifeguard. And I've yet to meet a lifeguard who gets offended that someone drowning is slashing out at them. You know, they, <laughs> they have to be, you know, can you imagine that? Like, you know what, I'm going to go back to the beach. And when you behave better, you know, raise your hand and I'll come back out. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't happen. Instead, they get, I'm approaching somebody who's drowning. They're not going to be rational. I'm not going to take it personal, but I'm also going to be careful. And so if you've got a manager who's like that or anybody who's very territorial, who's finger pointing and playing, instead of judging them, that's actually what helps kind of start to pull you down into the water with them sit back and go, how can I help them based on the fact that they're behaving like a drowner right now? The next one is, and this is where I see most people play in the workplace, is what I call the looking good lane. It's, I don't feel like I'm drowning, but I am very cautious as to how good do I look? I'm going to help you. I'm going to have you close to me as long as you help me look good. The minute that you don't, I'm either going to push you to the side, throw you to the wolves, or just kind of distance myself from you. And the big thing here is I'm not going to resent that. It's a human nature's motive of survival. I'm going to look to how do I help you look good so you feel safer to open up and work with me versus fight the fact that you're so busy trying to please the powers to be, you're not being authentic sometimes or you're not, you know, being straightforward. I get it. It's survival mode. The third level is what I try my best to stay in, which is the strategic and helpful. I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I see the best in people. It gets my brain to be the most creative and it focuses on thriving versus survival in the workplace. The thing that I really love about these three different groups that you've outlined here is the fact that it gives us kind of an archetype to aspire to. So we want to be that optimistic person, but it also has the reality that there are two other groups that that we need to work with. Those are going to be the difficult people. And you're not suggesting trying to get on your soapbox and change who they are fundamentally as a person. That's a whole different thing. You're saying you need to understand what you're dealing with and then create a strategy and utilize tactics that comport with the personalities of your counterpart. 
Yeah, and I'll stress, this is actually not difficult people. These are difficult mindsets because I know mm. this stuff and I slide down to safety mode when I get triggered and I slide to looking good mode sometimes when the fear sets in. So it's not like, oh, those people have the problem. We all have it. I'd like to tell people, how do you practice being the thermostat in that conversation versus the thermometer? The thermometer is not sophisticated. It takes the temperature of whatever it's around. The thermostat works to keep the temperature at a comfortable setting. And so when I think of the strategic and helpful mode, I want to set that as my thermostat temperature. And no matter how others are showing up, that I don't resort to being a thermometer, meaning, well, I had to kind of go tit for tat because this person showed up this way. Instead, it's I get their drowning or I get they're trying to survive, you know, their ego in the workplace. How do I help them feel safer to get them up to this temperature? And I think the first step that sets us up for trouble is when we go, oh, those people are difficult. No, we're difficult because we're humans. And if you have the capacity to practice being a thermostat, you get to help yourself, but you also get to help others come with you. And I think the number one thing that people use to gauge whether or not they trust you is how does it feel? work with you. And if it feels safe and comfortable, you end up bringing out the best in them, even if they have a tendency to show up defensive with others. That's brilliant. That's a really great way to look at it, the thermostat versus the thermometer. And I like what you said. You're echoing what one of our earlier guests here in 2018 said, Chris Plackey. Once you label somebody as difficult, it changes the way that we engage with them from here on out. And I think it's really important to understand that these are transient mindsets that we can fall into as well. And I think that helps us to look at them with a little bit more compassion and empathy as we engage. And that's a really great way. And this has been incredibly helpful. And I know the audience is going to get a lot out of it. But before you go, I want to ask you one more question. And this is focusing on mindset. And you've touched on this before, but I really want to get specific with it. What is one thing that our audience can do to adopt a more efficient and effective mindset when it comes to these conversations? A hundred percent treat everybody like a customer, label people as a customer. I actually don't call someone my boss. I'll say I report into this person and maybe I don't call them in a meeting and say, Hey customer, but in my head, they're all customers. It takes away the idea that I come to the table trying to manage up. Anytime I hear someone use that word, I'm managing up. I get that they're coming in as an employee versus business owner. Business owners don't manage up. They partner with their customers. I love it. That's a brilliant mindset. And also, before you go, can you give a shout out to your book one more time? Yes, absolutely. It's uh, Low Man on the Totem Pole. Stop begging for a promotion. Start selling your genius. And it's available on Amazon. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Heather, for coming in. This was just fantastic. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave a review and subscribe and tell your friends. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. And when you leave reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us in the searches. Thanks again for being a listener. I'll catch you in the next one.